I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like Jokic. Your sitter. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. I am your host, Zach Nikosh with DenverStiffs.com. Gordon Gross. Well, Gordon was going to be here. It's uh, it's entirely my fault. I um, Sunday night, I was at a little shindig with some friends for the holidays, as we're, as we're wont to do here in December. And, well, let me tell you, it just went, uh, went a little long. And I wasn't going to make Gordon wake up first thing in the morning to record a podcast with me on Monday. So... I let Mr. Gordon sleep in. It is right around 5 a.m. here on Monday, and I'm going to roll through this show solo, so we'll probably keep it pretty short for you guys. I know nobody wants to hear me blather on for an hour all by myself. That gets old, so we will uh, we will not go as long as we typically do, though we do still have a lot to get in this week. The Nuggets, of course, had a big week last week. They had, what, four games total? Uh, starting out with that Lakers game at home back on Tuesday, Nuggets have then been out of the East. They've been on a three games. Uh, they've completed three games so far of a four-game road trip out on the East Coast. Two losses, one win, beat the Knicks pretty handily. That's kind of what you're supposed to do when you play the Knicks right now. Uh, the other two games, though, the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets, those ones do not go Denver's way, particularly Boston was not close and Brooklyn was close, but the Nuggets really, really had some defensive lapses, I think, in that game. Something we haven't seen them do a ton. It's always been on the offensive side where they've really struggled so far this year. Not the case last night or yesterday afternoon, I suppose you could say. In Brooklyn, they struggle to defend the rim, uh, to defend penetration, and end up losing that one. So I want to break it down all three of those games. We'll talk, probably talk a little bit more about that Brooklyn game since it was just yesterday. Uh, that it happened for the second half of the show though we will as always turn the page and start looking forward to the upcoming week another three games on the docket for the Nuggets this week they finish out that road trip that we've been talking about they'll go to Philadelphia on Tuesday so tomorrow and finish up the four game road swing out east there with that game against the 76ers who have not lost by the way in Philadelphia as of yet this season that was the same scenario in Boston Nuggets, of course, could not hand the Celtics their first loss. They will have to try to do so against the Philadelphia 76ers if they want to um, salvage this this road trip at least. So that will break down the Sixers a little bit, talk about what the Nuggets might need to do there to try and get that win. And then uh, Carmelo Anthony is, is headed back to Denver once again this week. He's, of course, playing with the Portland Trailblazers. Nowadays, he's been signing for them with, what, like a week, two weeks? 
Um, so he will be back as the Blazers come into town later this week. I want to talk a little bit about Melo and his legacy. I've done a lot of talking about Melo and his legacy with the Nuggets over the past um, couple of weeks because, you know, when he came back, we I kind of dove into that both here on the pickaxe and then writing over at Denver Stiff. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on Carmelo Anthony, but I do want to talk a little bit about how I think he should be received when he's at the Pepsi Center this week. And then finally, the Nuggets will finish it out with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So two home divisional games uh, to finish out this week. We'll talk a little bit about OKC to wrap up the show. So let's dive into it. Let's go back first. Let's rewind, as painful as it may be, to go back to that Tuesday against the Lakers. And, and really, I think what what we could possibly learn, and, and it has really been a kind of a theme of this week of what we're learning about this team, um, is there are some teams the Nuggets are just going to struggle with, and and in particular teams like the Lakers, who have this combo of a really good, really big wing player in LeBron James, right? That makes a mismatch for the Nuggets. And Gordon and I talked about this on the week prior when we were previewing this game. It makes it really tough for the Nuggets because they have Will Barton, right? And Will Barton has been very good this season. You definitely want him in your starting lineup. He's not someone who's in any danger of losing his job or anything like that. You know, some people talk about, well, maybe you play Jeremy Grant uh, here and you bring Will Barton off the bench. And I just don't think you can do that to a team in in a one-by-one game scenario. You can do that a little bit with your bench, I think. And we've seen Malone do that, you know, especially with the small forwards kind of rotating around, watching Hernan Gomez and Michael Porter Jr., um, Troy Craig even in some spots. That I think is, is is okay, but when you start messing with your starting lineup, you know, you start messing with guys' confidence, you start messing with rhythm, you start messing with timing because now your rotation is really out of whack and and, and everything is going to be kind of different. Guys are coming off the bench at different times, different guys, you know, it it really can it can be hard to build up momentum that way. So I don't think you go that route. I think you have to stick with Will Barton as your starting small forward even in scenarios like this where you've got uh, a player like LeBron James opposite of him. It's just, it, there's too much long-term damage that could be done by, I think, messing up uh, or messing with the lineup at that time. But the fact of the matter is, is the Nuggets are going to struggle with that. They're just, they just are. And even, even if you go with a guy like Jeremy Grant uh, at a small forward position, yes, he gives you more length, more rim protection. He'll make it a little bit dip, more difficult to shoot over, but he doesn't have the foot quickness uh, that a Will Barton does and, or a LeBron James does. So you end up, you end up worrying there about how much is he going to give in terms of dribble penetration, which as we saw yesterday, that, that, that can be a very big issue for the Nuggets um, as well. So I think that's, that is something we probably all knew that, like I said, we previewed it last week, but it's something that we all really need to be cognizant of when playing the Lakers is that's, that is a tough matchup for the Nuggets. Just like, you know, Houston is, is a tough matchup. And there a lot of times, when you've looked at the Nuggets playing and they get blown out by the Houston Rockets, you took it with a grain of salt because you're like, well, that team just matches up perfectly with the way Denver's roster is constructed. I don't know now that that team isn't the Lakers, and and I think it's going to be up to Coach Malone. As we saw with Houston, he kind of seemed to have figured that out, uh, at least for one game this season. It's going to be up him to find that that special mix, that game plan uh, that can mitigate and, and contain a little bit of what a guy like LeBron James does. You're not going to stop him, obviously. He's the best player on earth. But um, they've got to figure out a way to slow him down or they're going to continue to run up to this issues, whether it's LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or you know, Jason Tatum, whoever. This this is an issue that is just present with the way the Nuggets roster is constructed and there's not a simple answer uh, to fix it. You know, the, the other thing that I thought we really noticed in this Lakers game 
um, came from Anthony Davis, who played phenomenal. Which okay, first of all, Anthony Davis was awesome. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that he defensively he was outstanding. We know what he can do on offense. Um, but can can we calm down with this whole flu game? nonsense like oh it's you know like i read the espn recap of this game and they were all like they they made the comparison they went there they they compared anthony davis's game 20 of the regular season uh against the the denver nuggets to michael jordan's game five against the uh in the nba finals with the flu like like let's calm down lakers fans i know you're excited i know your team is really good and you're really excited about how you've bought your way into the finals or into finals contention again um but but it's game 20 of the regular season you haven't won anything yet with this group so maybe we should come short of of comparing anthony davis's game with some illness uh, to Michael Jordan's flu game in the finals. Just just saying that. But uh, Anthony Davis was at, quite outstanding in that game and I think really highlighted another issue that has that has kind of sat there uh, all season long. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are talking about it, but the Nuggets really struggle when there's a premier uh, rim protector on the other team. And, and Anthony Davis is, is right now probably the best in the league, right? I mean, he looks like defensive player of the year and he certainly impacted the game against the Nuggets and certainly impacted their ability to get to the rim, which has been something that's been an issue for them uh, without throughout the season. I think Ryan Blackburn was, was throwing these stats. I don't know. Maybe it was TJ McBride. Actually. Um, I want to like to always give credit to the stiffs, but I do believe it was actually Mr. McBride over there at mile high sports talking about, you know, like floaters, uh, and the Nuggets are take one of the highest percentage of floaters, like total floaters per game, yet they convert one of the lowest in the league. So it's it's something that I think the Nuggets, they don't have a ton of guys who are great at finishing at the rim, right? Like Will Barton is really good finishing around the rim. He's he's a, got a really good soft touch on his layups. He's able to use his body um, and, and contort it in the air and has great body control to not be uh, disturbed by contact. He gets gets into the lane with, with pretty good ease and then knows how to use the rim as a way to protect himself from getting his shot blocked. Outside of Will, though, like, who's really good at finishing at the rim? I mean, Jamal Murray is definitely not. That's not his game. He's probably the most guilty of, of throwing up the floaters uh, over there in, in the lane when he's got a rim protector, especially. I mean, that's Jamal does not want to um, get inside when when there's a chance that his shot can get blocked. It's just not, not his game. He doesn't really have a go-to move. He doesn't have those skills that I mentioned like Barton does to give them that that in interior driving presence, I guess. And, and, and Gary Harris, um, who is, who is a decent finisher, but Gary Harris is, is not great. We've seen some, we've seen some strides from him in this area, but he's not great at creating off the dribble and getting to the lane on his own. And neither is Jamal Murray either for that matter. Um, and so those guys, Gary Harris in particular is, is good at finishing at the rim, but he really needs to be set up. Uh, to do it. And so he really needs that, you know, cutting lane and then Jokic to find him with the pass. And, and then he can get in there and finish when he doesn't have that. It, it feels like a lot of the times teams can just kind of see him coming, right? Cause he doesn't have great dribble penetration moves to get his guy to get past his guy. And then, 
you know, do it so quickly that the weak side defense is, is having to rotate really hard to try and get over there and stop him from the lane, right? When Gary get, gets into the lane, it's, it's generally not exactly the hardest thing to see coming. And I think that really hurts him in terms of getting to the rim. And so then he also ends up with a lot of these floaters. Uh, you don't you look at, you start going into the bench. I mean, Monty Morris, not, not a guy who finishes at the rim. He's kind of like Jamal Murray in that he's not a big time, um, finisher at the rim. He's not exactly a guy who has, I mean, Monty Morris is, is a great point guard because he's a heady point guard. He's a, uh, he's a smart point guard. He's the, the type of point guard who's not going to put you in bad situations. He's not going to turn the ball over. That's why you play him. You don't play him because he takes a ton of guys one on one off the dribble and blows right by them like he's Kyrie Irving and and gets into the lane and and finishes at the rim. That's that's not his style and it never will be. It's just it's just not what kind of player he is. Malik Beasley's a lot like Gary Harris, another guy who doesn't have a ton of creation with the ball in his hands. You can pretty much see him coming anytime he's coming into the rim, and he really depends on others to set him up for his opportunities down low whereas when he's setting up for himself it's usually resulting um, in a three-point shot so uh, the nuggets the guys in the rotation i mean we could we could talk about wancho but he's, he's same scenario we don't have to really dive into that i don't think anybody's confusing wancho with a great dribble penetration finisher at the rim um there's nobody on these nuggets this nuggets roster that really at least in this rotation that really gives them that and so when they run into a player like an anthony davis it really becomes magnified because they've really, I mean, I don't know anybody who's tried to try to floater. And yes, I realize this is, this is me who probably stopped playing basketball in like the seventh grade <laughs> because I realized it was going to be five, eight and my dreams were crushed. But, um, you know, anybody who's, who's even sh- ran around and shot the basketball knows like a floater is a difficult shot to make. It's, it's a high level of difficulty. It's one handed. Uh, you're putting a high arc on that. Those are the type of things that you're usually not doing it with a great look at the basket. Uh, you're, you're probably stopping and popping this floater, which is, uh, that change in speed also makes it a higher degree of difficulty. Like there's, there's a lot that goes into a floater that makes it not the most reliable shot in the world. You know, it's certainly not fundamentally sound. Um, and, and so when the, you have to rely on this because you can't get inside because you're, you're not able to finish at the rim. Um, and sometimes I think the Nuggets just do this just because they, they, they've somewhat fallen in love with the floater. But I think against the Lakers, it was definitely, they, they had an issue, uh, but they, they tended to, you know, when they tend to shoot all these floaters, this is this is what happens. You just see that they don't get a bunch of production from their guard units, and it makes it it makes it difficult for this team to win. I mean, Jamal Murray had twenty two on seventeen shots. He was he was pretty good. Uh, everybody else in that game was just abysmal, particularly when they it came to getting inside. I mean, even Jokic wasn't wasn't very good. So that's. That is an, an, the second issue I think you, we saw manifest itself. Um, and and <clears throat> when you play a team like the Lakers, you're going to have to find another way. You're going to have to find – you're going to have to like, – like they did with Houston, you're going to have to figure out, okay, now you've seen what this team does to you, how this team matches up against you. There are some just physical limitations your team has against this team. How are you going to beat them? And, and it's going to be interesting to see the next time these teams play – what coach comes up with because as we saw it's clearly more than one guy uh needs to step up 
for the Nuggets. Not even when just playing the Lakers, but in general. And I think we saw a lot of that. I want to get into that a little bit more um, here. So let's let's turn the page on that Lakers game. Tough loss. Lakers fans remain undefeated um, with the hyperbole. But uh, otherwise, we're going to move on to another one of our favorite teams, the Boston Celtics. I'm going to skip over the Knicks game entirely. I don't know what you take from that Knicks game. Um, they're bad. They're really bad. They're, they fired their coach after the Nuggets beat them. I, I don't know how you blame David Fisdale for what's going on there in New York. I mean, you you go out and you're like, oh, we're going to sign Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and you come back with, like, Julius Randle and Taj Gibson. Like, what did you expect? You know, I mean, and, that, and that's the other thing, too. The roster construction of the Knicks, they, like, signed, like, four different power forwards or something in the offseason. Like, what? They got, like, Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, Bobby Portis. Like, I don't yeah. And they had Mitchell Robinson. They had like their, their their big of the future, and so then they put all these power forwards next to him, and it's that are like not, I don't know, like they're like classic, like Julius Randle. And I'm a big Julius Randle booster, but I mean, he's like a he's a guy of a bygone era, you know. I mean, he and he's kind of an empty stat stuffer in a way, especially on New York, because what else would you do, right? Um, yeah. So I, the Knicks are bad. That's really a, really the only takeaway I have. From that game. Um, <clears throat> moving on to the Boston game. I thought we saw a lot. Again, that struggle that we talked about with, with the Lakers. We saw it there with with the Celtics. The uh, the inability to stop big wings. Jason Tatum um, and Jalen Brown. I mean, they killed this team. And now some of that was just those guys were on. I mean, Tatum. The Nuggets had Wancho on Tatum for one position. And Wancho played him. Wancho, who's not typically, I would consider, a great defender, played great defense and, and defended Tatum straight up the entire possession. Uh, got him to give up the ball. Even at one point, the ball comes back to Tatum. Wancho's right on him. Three-point shot. Wancho's right in his face. Knocks it down. You know, so there, there was a little bit of that going on. And, and there's just nothing you can do. Kimball Walker had a couple of those shots as well. Like, there's nothing you can do to beat a team like that. But... You've, you've got to find, I guess, I mean, you got to find a way, right? You, you've got to find a way to stop these bigger wings. Um, whether that's getting more out of Wancho or Jeremy Grant or not, you know, there, there's got to be an answer. I don't have the answer. That's why I'm on a podcast and not an NBA coach, but, uh, that, that, that issue, uh, came again. But I thought the, the bigger issue was the Nuggets' own lack of rim protection. I thought we saw this both in that Celtics game where Tatum and Brown were still able to get to the rim. Uh, they were hitting a lot of shots, but they also got to the rim quite a bit. But we really saw it last night in the Brooklyn game, yesterday afternoon, not last night. But um, just a just a really, really abysmal performance in in terms of rim protection and um, stopping, stopping teams out at the perimeter. There, you know, the Nuggets – don't have a, a great shot blocker. The best shot blocker on the team is either Mason Plumlee or Jeremy Grant. Both of those guys come off of your bench. The starting unit, I mean, Nicole Jokic is not a shot blocker. We know this. Paul Millsap is not a shot blocker. We know this. Now, they do a lot. Those two guys do a lot for you defensively because they have, they're have they great defensive IQ guys. They've got great hands. They're really good at clogging up to passing lanes um, when a team is trying to get inside that way, and they're also really good at getting their hands in there and disrupting dribble penetration once it gets to the lane by you know by by either getting a steal or a knockaway. Nuggets have got. I mean, I don't know if anybody tracks this stat, but when it comes to like slap down steals 
on a guy who's in his gather, the Nuggets have to be like the the league leader in 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 that because they seem to do it every single time, and that's really been their their way of protecting the rim is not so much hey I'm going to meet you at the top and try to block this shot is hey I'm going to swipe this ball away from you at the beginning of your shot, and in a lot of a lot of times it's worked they've they've had a lot of success there, but they did not have success there. Um, against Brooklyn, Spencer Dinwiddie basically had a layup line throughout the game, including all the way up to the end when he hit two uh, two easy layups, honestly, right at the rim, uh, right in the last minute there. And I think Gary Harris was on him both times. I know at least once um, Gary Harris was on him on the outside. And listen, Spencer Dinwiddie's a good player. He's a really good player, and he's got a pretty good handle. Um, and this is that that's kind of his game. You know, he's not a lights out three point shooter or anything like that. So he's going to try and attack the rim. Boston or not Boston. Brooklyn is a team who, who really is, is embracing the, the idea of uh, that kind of you know, Houston pave that if you're not shooting layups or if you're, or if you're not shooting at the rim or, or from three point land, you shouldn't be shooting at all. And, and we saw that against the Nuggets. That's, that's basically what they did that third quarter. Then they basically like, well, we're not even going to bother shooting the three pointer at all. We're just going to attack you every single time at the rim and make you stop us. And the Nuggets couldn't. And that was the biggest takeaway. I think anybody can have from that Brooklyn game is Denver's inability to protect the rim was exposed and, and magnified by the way Brooklyn played them, by the way, Spencer Dinwiddie played them. I mean, they, they flat out could not stop that guy from getting to the rim, and that's the other side of it too. Is you want to you? It's nice to have a rim protector, right? A guy who can clean up shots um, at the rim, but you also only need a rim protector when the defense at the perimeter breaks down. At least in scenarios like this, uh, where the where the Nuggets were basically letting dribble isolation beat them every single time like if if you stop that guy from penetrating out at the three point line there's no need to worry about having a, a weak side shot blocker or someone back there uh to cover up your mistakes denver didn't do that and for a guy like gary harris who's been i mean one of the best defenders in the league this year to just get smoked and by a guy like spencer dinwiddie you know it's not like it's not like he was Gary Gary's a little undersized at the shooting guard position, but it's not like he was being overpowered by a bigger guard this time. No, it was simply he was just getting smoked because they could not stop him. They could not stop anybody on the nets from getting past them um, out of the perimeter. And I don't know, you know, we talked about this a little bit about this last week. Um, Nuggets were in New York all day on Saturday didn't have a game. Then they had to play an early afternoon game there against Brooklyn on Sunday. I don't know if maybe that was it. Maybe there were some tired legs. Uh, maybe they stayed out a little late the night before, whatever. But for whatever reason, the Denver's defense just did not show up, um, particularly with defending the Brooklyn Nets guards, who are good players. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, like I said, he's a good player. But, I mean, come on. These are not these are not all-star talents. These are not, you know, top guards in the league. This was not Kyrie Irving, right? This was their backup. And and that's who the Nuggets got smoked by. Like it's 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 alarming. Uh, both both in that they could not stop them from driving, and then they could not stop them at the rim. They even put Jaron Grant, who was lights out from three. The bench the bench killed it against Brooklyn uh, offensively. They but they even left Jeremy Grant in there, and I you know I think a lot of that probably had to do with okay that's that's one of my best shot blockers. I'm going to get him in there because I, every single shot right now is just a layup at the rim, and I need somebody to intimidate this team. 
Uh, it didn't matter. I mean, it, it just didn't matter. They the Brit the Nets took it to them from basically the beginning of the second half on and and dared the Nuggets to stop them and they couldn't. There was, I mean, there was one really nice thing to take away from probably both this game and the, I said we were going to go short. Now I'm looking up, we're almost at 25 minutes, so we're going to have to get to the break here. But uh, there was one really nice thing to take away from both the Boston and the Brooklyn game, which was Nicole Jokic got back on track scoring-wise. He had, what, 30 against Boston, and then I think against Brooklyn, what, another 24? So he was, he probably t- took 20 shots, I think, in both games. He's... He's shown an ability to, or, or or has gotten back to being more aggressive, at least for um, a couple games. That that that's encouraging. The thing, though, I think that we really need to look at here, and this, and I want to drive this point home. It is not on Nikola Jokic to win basketball games by himself for the Denver Nuggets. And anybody who watched basketball this week by the Denver Nuggets, if they don't recognize that now, then I don't know what they're watching because we saw a guy put up 30 points. Okay. Against the Celtics, 30 points on 21 shots. He was one of his best games scoring. The season was his highest scoring game of the season. Nuggets got blown out. I know they only lost by 13. They were never close in that game. You saw him then come back and put up another 20 shots, get 24 points, and the Nuggets still end up losing at the buzzer because they can't defend anybody. It should be very clear to everyone watching this team that you cannot just simply point at Nikola Jokic and say, that guy needs to be more aggressive. Those are the issues. Yes, he has not been uh, scoring as many points as you would like him to score. But Nikola Jokic has still been a key cog in everything that the Nuggets are doing. And when they have everybody coming along with him and shooting and scoring and providing defense and playing a complete game, they win games. It's not just as simple as saying, well, Jokic needs to take 20 shots. And and we hear that stat thrown around all the time. Well, Nikola Jokic takes more than 15 shots. The Nuggets record is blah, 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 blah. It, it, it's not that simple. And I think everybody needs to probably take a step back and recognize, hey, there's more going on here than just Nicole Jokic needs to take more shots. And if this team is truly going to meet the expectations they have for themselves, which is a championship, they're going to have to get a complete championship effort from everyone. And it's going to take more than one player uh, to get him there. So with that thought, I think we'll hit the break. And then when we come back, I will turn the page and we will look forward to this upcoming week uh, with the Northwest Division on the horizon. So stick around. We'll be right back. We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range, and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call. 
719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. To the Pickaxe Podcast, Zach Mikosh here with you, Gordon Gross, we assume, still sleeping because he was prepared and on time last night, and I was not. So I am the one who has to then do the due diligence and end up here early in the morning recording on this Monday morning. But let's not talk too much more about my own irresponsibilities and instead get back into the Nuggets as we turn the page Look forward to the upcoming week here. The Nuggets will have three games on the docket. They close out this East 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 Coast road swing uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers tomorrow, and then they will be home. They've got two divisional home games. They're back on a homestand in general, actually. I'm trying to pull it up here real quick, but I think the Nuggets have quite a few games now before they will end up being back out on the road Again, they are, let me see here, stalling, stalling, five in a row. Uh, so they got the, uh, like I said, Portland. Actually, I mean, depending on what you consider the week, I guess. Yeah, we will, by the time we get back next week, they will have also played the Knicks. Uh, we'll probably record right after that Knicks game on Sunday. So, um Four games. I'm, again, just like I, uh, recapping, also on previewing, I'm just going to skip the Knicks entirely. But let's talk a bit about the Sixers. That's a big one for the Nuggets. They are, they've are they lost four of their last five. Um, they are not playing their best basketball. I think the some of the issues that we saw happening early in the season that weren't costing them games now are. And they and they're gonna have to try and figure out how they get it turned around because while while you've lost four of your last five, you know, and and you can look at that and say, well, hey, we had the Lakers, we had the Celtics. Uh, Lakers are the best team in the NBA record wise right now. Celtics, we had to play them on their home court. That's that's a really tough tough place to get a win. You know, if they lose tonight, hey, Philly also a really tough place to win in Philly. Yeah, but you also lost to the Kings and the Nets. Um, 
in, in there as well. And those are games that you should have won. Those are games against teams that you should, if you expect to be a championship contender, you, you need to beat these teams regardless of the fact that you have to go out and do it on their floor. The Nuggets didn't do that, which kind of so that puts them, I think, really puts them in the corner here against this Philly team and really needs them to come up and get what would what would in a lot of ways you would think is, you know, kind of call it like a signature win or just a big win for your team in general to go out and beat one of the top teams in the NBA on their court when they haven't lost there before. That's that's a notable accomplishment. Nuggets have to do it. I mean, I really feel like that. This is a huge game to me coming up against Philadelphia. They need to find a way to win to get back on track. We've had all the nonsense coming out of Philly since the last time we played them earlier in the season, and they're they're just constant yapping uh, over there um, about the Nuggets because we live rent free in their heads. Well, they're they're going to be looking to make a point here, right? And and, and make no mistake, even though the, that that sort of stuff is media driven. The players pick up on it too, and and they get they understand you know the 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 temperature that that around the game and how it gets heightened by the media, and that that has a rub off effect. So make no mistake, Joel and B, Ben Simmons, these guys are going to be looking looking for revenge for that loss in Denver. They're going to be looking to get the win. Uh, and if you remember, that loss in Denver was particularly painful for Philadelphia because they had the Nuggets pretty much dead to rights. Going into that third, into that final quarter, the fourth quarter, and the Nuggets had a tremendous comeback, and then Jokic, of course, with with the game winner. So that I'm sure they have not forgotten about in Philadelphia. That game is going to be um, it's going to be important, and and it's going to be very interesting to see how Denver handles it because this is probably the first time I think where they should have a feeling of desperation. Uh, in the season and they should be coming out and leaving it all on the floor because they just need to get a W. I really think it's that, that important. The, the other thing that you'll have to overcome here with, with Philadelphia um, is, is you've got to be able to overcome your, your big weakness, which is the big wings that we've been talking about. Tobias Harris is a huge win. I mean, he's one of the biggest in the league. The guy probably should be playing power forward in today's NBA, but because the Sixers have Horford and Embiid down low, then that moves Tobias Harris out to the wing and that puts him on Will Barton. And that's going to be a big struggle for the Nuggets on how they're going to contain him in particular. So they're going to have to do it. And they're going to have to figure it out with a combined effort. That's what it takes against Philadelphia. They got the win in Denver based mostly on the effort of their starters. The bench was absolutely awful in that game. They they probably can't do that again. They can't rely on it. I mean, what was it in that game? I think they, they outscored the Sixers by 22 points in the fourth quarter, one by three. So, you know, that that lets you know where they were at, right? So they were they were um they were down by sixteen going into that fourth quarter and were were able to um come back and win it. I think my mask right there, don't check it. But so they um that's what it's gonna take for the Nuggets to to get a victory is they've gotta they've gotta get more out of their bench. They're gonna have to get more out of a guy like Gary Harris who didn't have a great game last time. Um, and they're going to have to figure out how to stop Tobias Harris. That's that's going to be, I think, the keys to this. And and, and then overcoming, uh, overcoming just the the difficulty of playing in Philly, which is is a mental thing. And that's another thing that I think we've 
kind of had some concerns about this Nuggets team throughout the season. It's like they got to look like they give a damn in this one. They really do. I mean, this is this is a elite team in the NBA on their floor, and you need a win. Like, they need to act like that. Like I said, they need to have that desperation that we have not seen from them probably at all this season. Um, if they don't get it, you know, I, it, it's hard to see them. Uh, it's hard to see them winning this game with with half efforts, right? They, this is a full effort game from tip off to the final buzzer. And if they don't get that, I think they're going to be deeply in trouble. They'll have an opportunity to bounce back on Thursday when Portland comes to town. The Trailblazers have not been good this year. They, uh, of course, have made recent news with the signing of Carmelo Anthony, but uh, that got them an injection of a little bit of excitement. They won uh, some games against some bad teams. I think they got the Bulls like twice within within the same week. That's always helpful when you're trying to right the ship. And they um, really haven't done much sense. I mean, when you look at Carmelo Anthony now, and, and we're seeing him over a couple weeks of play. I mean, he's he's mellow, right? That that's what he that's what he looks like. He's uh, an inefficient scorer at this point. Which and sometimes you know, be people you hear that and you think, oh, that's such a bad thing. Sometimes you need an inefficient scorer. You just do. There are times when a guy like Melo can get you a bucket. That's maybe not the most perfect play. That's maybe not uh, set up the best. That maybe wasn't the best uh, advised shot considering the defense that was on him. But it goes in right. Like and sometimes you need that. The problem is. Mello comes from the era of those guys dominating the league and teams just being willing to take it, the good and the bad. And now, in this day and age, that's not really the way teams play. And so, too often, I think you worry about Mello thinking that that's still what his team needs. And so that's what he does. And then you end up um, with, well, I mean, games like games like he's had, right? He's just not been as effective i don't even know if you can say as effective as the as the the blazers hope because i don't know how they could expect more out of Melo than what they're getting but i mean the game against that they just played uh against the thunder the other the other opponent the nuggets have this week you know i mean mellow 18 shots nine points right that's <laughs> zero assists i mean this is this is mellow this is this is what he is and for for a team like the blazers who were struggling with defense in general I, it didn't make a ton of sense um, to bring in a guy like that, but you know they they they're trying to do something because here's a team who was in the Western Conference Finals last season and is right now six games under 500 with more than a quarter of the season already passed. That's they're in uh, a real desperation time now. The Blazers, you you never count out because they they tend to get into the new year every season and then you know in January just completely dominate the league for that month and are right back in everything. So I think we're we'll still we'll still come short of saying that the Blazers are not going to be in the playoffs this year, but they're talk about desperation mode. They're in it. And, and you can see that by them, by them uh, signing Carmelo Anthony, which is, which is a, an interesting topic, right? Carmelo Anthony and the Denver Nuggets. We've spent a lot of time on this and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but he will be here on Thursday. He will be in the arena. He will be in Denver. As far as I know, Melo has never made himself available to the media uh, in Denver since he left. I don't know, maybe maybe Jeff Morton, if he's out there listening, can fact check me on that one. But um, I don't I don't know. At least in my time, in the five years that I've been writing for Stiffs, he's never made himself uh, available to the media at any of his games. It'll be interesting to see if he's past that now. Now that he's been, uh, you know, got basically a year out of the league, maybe got humbled a little bit there. Because I, I 
I don't necessarily understand. It. I don't, I do and I don't because it comes from the, the, there's so many fans who are the same way, right? Who are still so anti mellow and, and still so against like, uh, everything that happens. So, um, we're, we're probably not as past it any more than he is, but I think we should be, to be honest. I think, I think we, we should recognize what Melo accomplished for this, this franchise, what he did in terms of putting this team back on the map of relevancy. I mean, we, we, we get upset about being considered like a flyover team, about not getting enough coverage, um, on, on national media levels. Think about how it would be if we had never had Carmelo Anthony, like, right. Think about if we had just continued that era of nineties basketball, um, into the two thousands, how, how abysmal would be, how much of a laughing stock in the league this team would be. I mean, if, if this team hadn't had Carmelo Anthony, they were in danger of becoming the Cleveland Browns of the NBA, right? Like the next era of the Clippers. Like for so long in my life, the Clippers were always that team. It was like, ah, they're just terrible. They're just always awful. They always will be awful. They're a joke of the league. Then they got Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and they were suddenly they were good and it wasn't like that anymore. The Nuggets were really close to being that next team, you know, and I guess I don't know who you would call it now. Uh, the Charlotte Bobcats for a long time filled that uh, position. I think since they changed to the Hornets, people just kind of forgot how bad they were as Bobcats. But, um, you know, there was, I don't know, I guess, who you would say is that team now. Probably the Knicks, right? <laughs> That's probably who it is. Um, and the, that team could have been the Nuggets. And, and it's Carmelo Anthony who made sure that they weren't and, and kept them in relevancy. So I think there's a lot of thanks to be given to him. I've, I've been very outspoken. I think Carmelo should have his number retired. Whenever that time comes, yes, I know Nicole Jokic wears the same number. Like, I, talk about it's such a well actually argument when that comes. Well, you know, Nicole Jokic has the same number, and well, we couldn't do it. like like we couldn't logistic like that's so hard logistically to come over. Like we could just be like, well, Jokic is still going to wear fifteen, and then when he retires, we'll retire his number as well. Um, and put well, I just have two fifteen number fifteen banners hanging up there. Like, well, that that's so hard to overcome. Um, that we just couldn't possibly that we, that means we just have to completely rule out the accomplishments of Carmelo Anthony, like which this hot take for you right now. Guess what? Carmelo Anthony's accomplished more than Nicole Jokic has uh, for the Denver Nuggets as of today. So maybe we should be thinking about retiring his number and not worrying too much about Nicole's. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting riled up about it. Um, but but the point being is is we should we should honor what he's done, and I hope I hope that when Melo gets introduced, um on Thursday that he is met with nothing but cheers because that's, that's what he deserves. Now, if you want to boom during the game, then fine boom during the game, but at least show the respect during the intros for what this guy did, did for the franchise. Let's see here. We are, how are we doing on time? We're, we're doing all right. We're getting pretty close. Um, there, the Nuggets also of course have the Oklahoma city. And then like I said, the Knicks to close this out, the thunder, uh, actually doing better than the Blazers right now. The thunder are right around, 500, a sneak quality team, I think, in in Oklahoma City. They've obviously got Chris Paul, who, you know, I mean, Chris Paul is is another guy who's probably built for the last era of basketball more than he was for this one. But he's a talented player. He's got a lot that, that he brings both on the court and off. Uh, and like we saw uh, just recently, I mean, he's heady, right? He, uh, he can um, catch a ref uh, with a minor rule and get a technical foul called because the guy doesn't have his jersey tucked and that can end up swinging the game. Like, that's that's what a guy like Chris Paul brings you. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got him. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a, is a talented young player. He was a big 
big part of that Paul George trade. Danilo Gallinari, another guy from that Paul George trade. We all know about Gallo and what he can do. I mean, Steven Adams is still a great, great center. They still have Dennis Schroeder and, and Nerlens Noel off their bench. They've got, you know, they've got some depth there. Like, Oklahoma City is not as bad as I think some people think they are. They're not good. I mean, they're not they're not a team anybody's going to confuse with a finals contender or anything like that. But they're I think they're a team who will compete, will stay in competition for the playoffs all season long, and could end up as an eight seed, seven seed, something like that. So, a team you can't overlook, especially if you're a Nuggets team right now who needs to get things back on track. Now, the lucky thing you have is outside of Gilgis Alexander, there's not a ton of not a ton of dribble penetration you're gonna have to worry about. And well, I guess Dennis Schroeder off the bench as well. But other than those two guys, not a ton you have to worry about there. So uh, at least that we won't get to see them make 30 layups in a quarter or whatever it was <laughs> against um, Brooklyn. But still a team that that has a lot. You know, Gallo is a is a, a big wing. Though I think they're playing him more power forward right now. I can't remember. I think it was a Nader who's playing over there. It's small forward, and then I think what they actually do is they they, they bring in uh, Schroeder, and they kind of go Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gillis Alexander. So they size wise out on the wings, they they match up uh, with the Nuggets better, or the Nuggets match up with them better than they have other teams, but not still not a team I think you can overlook. Still a team you I think you need to take seriously and and find a way to win. And then of course you you close out like I said against the Knicks. I I died. They fired their coach right after they got blown out by the Nuggets. Um, they made this guy named Mike Miller, the interim coach, which is just confusing because it's not the Mike Miller we're thinking of. I have no idea what to think of that guy, uh, the Knicks coach. So I'm not even going to try. I, you know, if they, if the Nuggets lose to the Knicks, it's because they, uh, because they basically wanted to and they didn't take him seriously. So I'm not too concerned there. I think in terms of, I'll go, we'll go ahead and close up the show. We close it up the same as we do every week with our win-loss predictions. We'll just say Gordon's going to say, uh, I'm, I'm guessing Gordon would say that he thinks they're going to be 2-1 would be my guess. We'll see if that bears fruit. I think they'll go 3-0, I, I, or at least I hope. I think the, this, the Philly game is obviously the one you worry about, um, but I am hoping that the Nuggets have realize or they feel a little bit of the pressure and they have their backs against the wall a bit so that they respond, come out and get that big win against Philly, then come home and take care of business against the Trailblazers, who they should, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, who they should, and the New York Knicks, who they certainly should. So really 4-0, I guess Gordon would probably say 3-1 uh, would be my guess. So that's that's kind of where I think they end up. That's where I'm hoping they end up. And, you know, hopefully next week we're talking about a four-game winning streak and moving past this ugliness of this week. All right, guys, so make sure you are following us on Twitter. I am at Zach Mikosh. Gordon is at GMoneyNugs, uh, at Pickaxe Podcast, at Denver Stiffs. It's all right there in the name for you, at SB Nation, if you want to follow the mothership. Um Make sure you're checking us out over on Instagram. Jenna Garcia is doing a great job this year. I know Instagram in the past maybe is a platform we haven't done a ton of stuff with. This year, uh, Jenna's really focused on it. And so a lot of great content up over there that you're only going to get on the Instagram feed. So make sure you're checking that out at the Denver Stiffs over there. And subscribe to the podcast channel where you will get the Pickaxe Podcast, Nuggets, Numbers, The Dig, uh, The Denver Stiff Show, and I believe... Chicken Nuggets is about to make its return and finally hop onto the network as well. So that will mean daily podcasts Monday through Friday. And, and the thing that you'll get here that you won't get 
uh, from any other outlet covering the Nuggets is we, you know, we have we have the biggest staff um, of anyone. And I think our podcast channel really leverages that. So while you've got me and Gordon on Mondays, you're going to get Ryan Blackburn on Tuesdays. You're going to get um, I think Jenna's going to move the chicken nuggets to Wednesdays, Thursdays. You're going to get the Denver stiff show, which might be any number of those people I just mentioned or Brandon Ewing uh, is, is oftentimes on, um, on the Denver stiff show with he's our, uh, of course, one of our credentialed reporters who's at the, at the arena every night. Um, and then Friday, we, we were going to close it up. We're going to move the dig to the Friday where you get Jeremy Pulley and Nick Herzog. So it's really, really great content that covers a whole wide breadth of topics. I don't think really anybody else uh, has the ability to do that right now the way we do. So make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. It is the Denver Stiffs podcast channel. Don't go looking for pickaxe podcast or nuggets numbers. You might find it that way, but it's just easier to look up the Denver Stiffs podcast channel and you will find all of them there. And if you are subscribed, you'll get them. Like I said, Monday through Friday. So check it out. And otherwise, I think that's going to do it for us. So I appreciate you guys sticking with me while I was by myself this week. I'm trying, I really try not to do that too much this season because I think uh, it doesn't make for as good of a show. So I'm sure Gordon will be back next week when I'm hopefully not at a holiday party. And otherwise, we will talk to you guys then.